First one is from Exodus 20, the fifth commandment, obviously given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And verse 12 says this, Honour your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. Leviticus 19, a little bit further on. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. In Proverbs, which is to uh, help with wisdom for daily living, in chapter 13, verses 22 to 25, say this. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. From John's Gospel, uh, chapter 19, near the end of his life, Jesus is on the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And from Ephesians, obviously written by Paul to teach us all. Chapter six, verses one to three say this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And your family, just not your natural family, they're your church family, 1 Timothy 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I'm just going to pray for Nick before he brings the Lord's word to us. Father, we thank you for Nick and everything that he does in this church, all the multitasking he's done this morning and the skills that he brings to us. We ask that you bless him this morning and open our hearts, our hearts to hear what he has to say to us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. If children um, honoured their parents, and parents brought up their children honourably, especially if they brought them up in the Lord, then the world would be sorted. What do you reckon? Looking at the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honour your father and your mother so you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And as Paul notes in Ephesians, um, and uh, Kevin read that, It's the first commandment with a promise. It's interesting, isn't it? First commandment with a promise. And we read it, I think, in a very individualistic way. There's as if there's ten commandments. They obviously are, have to be applied by individuals. If you honour your, if I honour my father and I mother, then I personally will have a long life. Though when it comes back in Deuteronomy, it's clear it's not just a long life, because long life is not a blessing unless it's a good life, and unless it's a blessed life. There's no benefit in a long and miserable life. So we read it in that way. If you honour your father and your mother, you will live a long and blessed life. That's what it says. But this is a command given to the people of Israel as they leave Egypt. And they become a nation. 
and then it's given to them again because they muck things up and they have to wander around the desert for 40 years. The commands are given again in Deuteronomy 5 as they enter the prominent land. So surely there is some communal force here for the people of Israel. Honor your fathers and your mothers, people. You, the nation of Israel. And then you, the nation, will live long in the promised land that I am given, giving you. And of course they didn't. They broke the, the Ten Commandments and they didn't live um, long in the land. But if children, and this is written primarily to adult children, honoured their mothers and fathers, maybe all would be well. So just to recap, we've looked at the first, next slide, we've come to the first four commandments. And Jen Wilkins says that together they all deal with submission. The first four deal with heavenly submission. The fifth now deals with earthly submission. So submission to God in the first four, submission to earthly authorities in the fifth one, and the remaining five will deal with mutual submission, submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we've seen the first four flow directly from the character of God, and in that sense they're an invitation into reality, the reality of who the Lord is and what he's like. He's the one and only God. So worship him alone. It's just reality. He's spirit, he's unseen, he's eternal, he's everywhere present. So don't reduce him to an image, at least until Jesus comes to image him perfectly. The Lord has a name, Yahweh the Lord, that relates to the fact that he's personal and eternal and self-existent. Don't cheapen his name by using it cheaply or thinking about him as an it or a force. And then the Lord is always at work and yet always at peace. So he creates a six-in-one pattern so that we can be released from feeling that we have to uh, work seven days a week to provide everything we need. Keep the Sabbath. We're made to worship. Function best when we've set a day aside. And in that day, time to worship the Lord and spend time with his people. And then the remaining six commands. So that's an invitation into the reality of who God is. The, the other six commands are an invitation into the reality of this is how God has created society to work best. So let's dig in. A couple of questions to, to ask first. Why should children honour parents? Well, we sort of touched on that already. Um, it's good for the children. Children obey your parents. So Paul quotes this fifth commandment in Ephesians 6. And so he's kind of brought that blessing of the Old Testament and, and he's lumped it and landed it squarely in, in the New Testament with the implication that this reward is still there for children who honour their parents, that life will go well for them. The Lord will bless it. And the Lord's blessing means that things that might have gone badly go well instead in your life, in reality, in real things. Solomon says the same. My son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. That's interesting, isn't it? If you honour your father and mother, especially what they've done to bring you up in the Lord, have a long life and a good life. But it's also good for society. What you do as parents, the, the family is the building block of society, Wayne Grudem says. It's the foundational building block for all of society. And he says this, parents have greater influence than anyone on the next generation. 
Yeah? Parents have greater influence than anyone on the next generation and therefore on the future of societies and nations. Honouring your father and mother, it's good for, it's good for the children. Um, it's good for society. And interesting that works at a spiritual level because God promises it, but, but it works at a kind of human level as well because that's how God's made us to function. So there's an interesting um, 2013 uh, study in the, in the US and it looked at different styles of parenting, looked at authoritative parenting, which is where parents kind of uh, essentially control their kids. They don't just tell them what to do, uh, but, they, but they enforce it harshly. Or there's authoritarian parenting, which is different from authoritative. It says this, uh, they reinforce a child's sense of autonomy while still maintaining a consistent parenting presence. So authoritarian. No, authoritarian is the harsh one, isn't it? What, did I say the other one, did I? I'm sorry. And authoritative um, is the one where there is an authority and parents bring an authority, um, but recognize the autonomy of their kids. And then there is permissive parenting where... Um, there is an absence of control. And what happens is, if you're, if you're too authoritarian, then your kids don't grow up learning how to regulate and manage themselves. And if you're too permissive, in other words, if you force them to honour you, then they grow up unable to, to self-regulate, look after themselves. If you're too permissive, um, you're not bothered about them honouring you at all. Um, then they grow up, again, unable to self-regulate. If you get that balance somewhere um, in the middle, uh, they have an autonomy, they have their own... You allow them to grow in their own ability to, to think and make decisions, but they do that in a, in a structured kind of way, then kids grow up able to um, self-regulate. And if they're able to kind of self-regulate, in other words, to make their own decisions in a sensible kind of way, all kinds of blessings um, follow out of that. So children who can't do it have difficulty connecting with peers, generating relationships with teachers, negotiating their social world and succeeding academically. It's just interesting, isn't it, that, well, as Jen Wilkin puts it, the home is the lab where children learn submission to authority. Home is the lab where children learn submission to authority. So Christian parents train their children to submit to them so that their children will more readily learn to submit to other earthly authorities and ultimately to the highest authority, our Heavenly Father. It's a big responsibility on parents, isn't it, to bring them up in a way that they, um, they honour authority and that is good for them. That is good for them in all kinds of different outcomes going forward. How should parents bring up children? Um, briefly, I'm just going to this briefly, because partly because this came up in the book that I was reading. Um, next slide. Scripture implies, I'm just going to say these things in passing and then, then we're going to move on. Scripture implies that parents, fathers especially, are responsible for the obedience of their children. It always seems to be that there is, um, I guess, Proverbs recognises that children are sometimes disobedient, but nevertheless, the scripture seems to imply that it is the parents' responsibility uh, for the obedience of their children. And so, in, in that sense, the, um, the, the New Testament, Paul makes it a qualification of an elder that his children are, are obedient to him. In other words, the Bible believes that that is a possibility. It's in your hands, in the parents' hands. It doesn't depend on, on, on the kids. 
There was a thing about discipline. I'll just go past that uh, briefly. Again, just simply because it came up in the book that I was reading, and, it, and it's interesting, and it might be something that goes through your mind. Um, Proverbs in four times talks about the rod. Now, I don't suggest that you go out and buy a rod. Okay, parents. Um, I don't suggest that you use a rod, but it's interesting that, that um, Proverbs said, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Children need discipline. It's good for them. It, it, it blesses them. I don't let you read the rest. Smacking in a child is unlawful in England, but it's allowed if it constitutes reasonable punishment. But if you're going down that route, it's fundamental and it's not done in anger. The danger of saying smacking kids is okay um, is that when the moment comes and you're angry, it becomes something that, that isn't okay. But anyway, let's move on from that and let's get on to the real business. How should children honour their parents? Next slide. Well, I think you know what honour looks like. I don't think it um, takes much thinking, does it really, to think what honour looks like. Leviticus 19 says each of you must respect, respect your mother and father. Okay? And John Calvin says it means reverence, obedience, and gratefulness, gratitude. It's not hard, is it, to understand the command. To honour is to think well of your parents out of genuine love. To honour them is to let them know you think well of them. To honour them is to speak well of them in front of other people. To honour them is to show gratitude for what they've done for you. And in time, to honour them is to care for them. It's that time in life when the tables are turned and the children start to take care for their parents. And in young children, it is to obey it is to obey them, as Paul says, in the Lord. Of course, when children uh, grow to adulthood, um, as we read in Genesis, they leave their father and their mother, uh, uh, and a man and a, a wife are united, and they become one flesh, and they become a new family unit. And at that point, then, they're, they're not required to uh, obey their parents, not absolutely, at least. And then... Honouring is to take all of that and to apply it also um, in your church family. So I love that verse from Leviticus 19. Stand up in the presence of the aged. In other words, it, it, it's a, it was a mark of respect, wasn't it? It still happens, doesn't it? Occasionally somebody comes and you don't know and you're greeting them. You stand up. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere, revere your God. I wonder whether the implication there is stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and thereby revere your God. But the command anyway lands with, I am the Lord. This is the way to follow the Lord. Jim Wilkin, in that book we've been reading, says, in a culture that's obsessed with worshipping youth, the fifth commandment offers Christians a simple means to be light in the darkness. Simple means to be light in the darkness. In other words, by honouring those who are older. Have you done that? Do you notice the elderly people in church? It's a good question, isn't it? That's the theory. 
So far, so far, straightforward. But the question I think, really, next slide, is, is that it's so often this. How should children honour poor parents? How should children honour poor parenting? So there's a critical question here before we dig a little bit deeper. Does poor parenting nullify the command to honour your father and mother? I have to say this comes really close, close to home to me. I've had to rethink this uh, along the way. I've been challenged by this. Does poor parenting nullify this command? And I think there is a simple and straightforward answer to that question, and it is no. <clears throat> and the reason it is no is this. The logic is this. Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And so I think this one is kind of summarised then um, under that love your neighbour as yourself. And the word love is agape, which is the Bible's word for self-sacrificial love. Not an emotion-driven love. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is a self-sacrificial love. So to honour your parents, even if their parenting is poor, is to think well of them, speak well of them, do well by them. As an exercise of self-sacrificial love, as a way of showing them love, even if the warm feelings are there, even if they've not loved you very well find this a really, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? Well, maybe it isn't. Maybe you've had lovely parents and, and it's not a great challenge to you, but I'm sure there's some, you know, there are elements of poor parenting here, there, and everywhere. So think well of them. You need to practice that. If it is not coming naturally, then you need to practice it. It may be that the opposite is true. If, if you received bad parenting and you can remember... Uh, something unpleasant, then it tends to kind of stick in the mouth. And you know how your tongue always goes to a mouth ulcer, mouth ulcer even though you don't want it to? Um, you, you kind of, your mind goes to what, where you've been hurt. Goes to where you've been wounded. And that will have happened with your parents. Practice. Thinking well of them. It, it is part of a practice of forgiving as the Lord forgave you. And you remember in the, in the Lord's Prayer, again, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Unforgiveness, if, you, un, if you're not forgiven somebody, you give them a strange power over you. You're not forgiving, you've given somebody a strange kind of power because in a sense you've, you've you, you, You've left a kind of hurt out there, and, it's still, and it still has power over you. And I know that forgiveness doesn't necessarily cut through in one swift moment um, the hurt um, or the offence. But if you don't forgive, then that, then that wound has, has power over you. You've kind of given... Um, control over to somebody else. Quite apart from the fact that you've kind of you've blocked off your relationship with the Lord because you've grieved the Holy Spirit. And so that you I think it's worth noting there's a difference between understanding causality and holding responsibility. 
It's okay to understand. You are what you are. A large part of what you are this morning is what your parents made you to be. They are the biggest influencer on your life for, for good or evil. And so it's not wrong to understand where did this thing that I wrestle with root in? Because the answer so often will be, it's what my parents did, said, or didn't do, or didn't say. But there's a difference between understanding the cause and holding them responsible. Maybe it's time to let that thing go. Practice thinking well of them. It's part of, it's part of a general forgiveness thing. If you're struggling to forgive somebody, you just practice when they come to mind, thinking well about them, and maybe praying for them, because it's another way of turning your mind around um, from living in unforgiveness to practicing, uh, practicing thinking well of them and praying for them. Speak well of them. Some of you are going to find that really hard. I find that really hard. But love covers a multitude of sins, we're told. And maybe, maybe then the first step, if you're struggling to speak well of your parents, is to, to not speak at all, if that's what it comes to. That doesn't mean if it's something, something bad has happened and you need counselling or you need help. It doesn't negate that, but it does mean in kind of, in, in general relation, relating in social situations. Speak well of them. Find something you can say or don't say it at all. So Jen Wilkins says, maybe your mother didn't do everything right. If you're a parent yourself, you'll probably learn already to extend the gracious proposition that she did the best she could. If she's living, show honour by telling her a favourite memory from your childhood. There's, lovely little, there's a lot of lovely little suggestions in the book, if you've got it. If you have children of your own, repeat the story to them as well. Tell the good stories. Give your children the gift of relationship with a grandparent unweighted by the baggage of your own childhood. It's a way to show honour. And then you do actually have to relate to them. Not just think well of them and speak well of them. Of course, you do have to relate to your parents too. You have to visit them. I remember there came a point in time where I, 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 there, were no, there was going to be no redemptive conversations with my dad. I could visit him and it got me out of, it got me to the seaside for a bit. But it didn't, wasn't going to fix the relationship any more than it had ever been fixed. But it was good for him. It was good for him. He enjoyed it. It blessed him. So even if it's come to a point where it's not going to fix, it's not going to repair, call them, visit them, write to them. Maybe the written word is a better vehicle sometimes. Maybe you can put something in writing that you can't say over the phone. And then in time... It is your responsibility to honour them by caring for them. So Paul says to Timothy, this is about the church in Ephesus, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Note that phrase, really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying 
their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Paul calls on you as a Christian to repay your parents for the care they gave you when they are elderly. Anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives, Paul says, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So how are you doing? Need some encouragement? Well, if you need some encouragement, I've got three places for you to look. One is look um, to the faithfulness of Jesus. Next slide. We could go back to the beginning of life. And Joseph and Mary, they're bringing Jesus at eight days old to be dedicated in, in the temple. Who does God move into their path? Do you remember? Simeon. Firstly, it says God moved him. And God moves Simeon into his path. God honours Simeon uh, with a sneak preview um, of, of the saviour. Uh, and Anna, too, who's been, she's either 84 years old or, she, or she's been a widow for 84 years old. Um, God honours these two um, elderly, faithful saints who are in the temple with a glimpse uh, of the saviour that's coming through. It's lovely. And then at the end, as he hangs on the cross, the other end of his life, Jesus is thinking about his mum. It's so touching, isn't it? He sees her standing there and he says to John, here's your mother. He says to her, he is, he is your son. He, he's concerned. Sometimes um, theologians talk about the active and passive obedience of Christ. His active ob- obedience is his obeying, um, obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying God's will for him, doing the right thing um, at every moment uh, of every day, um, in every situation, his active obedience. This is the obedience that is credited to you and I when he dies on the cross. But then his, they sometimes call it his passive obedience. Uh, it's just, I guess, noting that at the end of the Gospels, everything changes uh, and Jesus is, is dragged and taken away and falsely charged um, and, and nailed, nailed upon the cross. And it's a bit of a false distinction, but his, but his passive obedience is, is this debt-paying obedience of Christ, where he hangs on a cross uh, and in pain, feels the pain um, for all your shortcomings and mine, if you trust in him. And his active obedience then is this life, this beautiful, um, God-honoring life, which is credited to you and me when we, when we trust Christ. And the amazing thing is in this one little verse, the active obedience and the passive obedience of Christ come together in the same moment. In the same moment, he is being obedient to the law so that he can credit that to you. And at the same time, he is paying the price for all that you've done wrong. It's amazing. And this Jesus is not ashamed to be called your brother. He's not ashamed to call you brother or sister. He's, he wants to be in a family with you. The one who makes people holy, that's Jesus. And those who are made holy, that's his church, are the same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So I look to the example of Christ. Trust in the cross of Christ. Be encouraged by the brotherly fellowship. Um, of Christ.
There's another encouragement, and that is that the church is a family. Next slide. Did you notice when Mark was preaching about a um, rich young ruler? Jesus says to the disciples afterwards, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've left all this, but I'm giving you a whole lot more. How's he doing that? It's the church. The church family. Whatever you've lost, whatever you didn't have, Jesus is giving you in church family. So a good thing? It ought to be a good thing, though. I notice that some of you are staring straight ahead at the moment and just kind of, kind of like, just don't, don't catch anybody else's eye. <clears throat> These people, they are your family. Folks, this morning we are one family. You're not in Jesus' family unless you're also in this family. And if you're in Jesus' family, you are in this family. On this morning, this is your family. So Paul says, don't rebuke an older man harshly. Exhort him as if he was your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. <coughs> this is your family. with are the family of God. So we can't do worse here than we would do in our own families. If you were parents, you'd be looking out maybe for your, for your kids that were unmarried. Well, you should be doing the same in the church. Churches don't always do really well caring for singles. You've got to keep your eyes out. You, in a family, you'd be looking out for your parents as they got older thinking what kind of care do they need well the same thing needs to happen here this is your family you have new parents to honour you have new siblings to encourage and you have a whole load of children to help raise so if you're family-less welcome into our large weird slightly dysfunctional family Stains Kong. It's a good place to be, I promise you. Looks weird on the outside, but it's fine on the inside. Finally, final encouragement, the fatherhood of God. Yeah, well done. God is your father in two ways. Paul says, the spirit you received, when you became a Christian, you, the spirit of God comes to dwell in you and, and take up residence. And he doesn't make you a slave so that you live in fear. That's not his intention. But instead, he testifies about your adoption to sonship. And so we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, the Spirit comes to convince you and make this real in your experience that you're a child of God. And he makes it real enough that you can cry out, Abba, which is a kind of daddy almost, respectful dad. Spirit testifies in our spirits, with our spirits, that we're God's children. So you are God's children by adoption and you are God's children by new birth. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, John says. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. I think this may be pushing this verse a little bit out of context, but have you believed in the name of Christ? Have you received 
the spirit of Christ. All who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You are a, a, a child of God. You've been adopted by the, the perfect parent. You've been adopted by the richest parent in the universe. You've been adopted by the kindest parent in the universe. He's actually put his spirit in you. You're, you're born of him. You have the highest honor and the greatest blessing possible now out of that. Knowing that you have the perfect parent, can you go and honor your parents better than we did before? Now let me ask you these three questions as, as, we, as we finish off. So last slide. Quite like to bemoan the ills of society, don't we? From time to time. But before you bemoan the ills of society, ask this question. How am I parenting? What am I contributing to this next generation? How am I honoring my parents? Before you next bemoan the poor parenting you received and speak to myself, ask, is this honoring to my mother and my father? Is this honoring? And if I'm moaning, am I denying or minimizing the fellowship of father, son, and spirit that I've been given? Before you next bemoan your family relationships, look to the privilege of being part of the Lord's family. Rejoice in it, commit to it. I think how you can be parent and child in the family of God. Let's pray. Lord, at times it's overwhelming to think that you've adopted us. And also, we're born of your spirit. You've drawn us into your family. And your son, Jesus Christ, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. What a massive privilege. And Lord, where there are long-held, unhelpful deposits from our parents, long open wounds of poor parenting, we ask for your healing and your grace and determination to love well and to honor. And when we do that, Lord, we look for the blessing. We look, you say things will be better. We ask you to make that read in our lives as we start on this track this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.